may be seated. No, please stay standing as we uh, read our New Testament passage, Matthew chapter 13. I'll be reading verses 1 through 23. This is God's holy, inspired, and inerrant word. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea, and great crowds gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat down. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Then the disciples came and said to him, Why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled. It says, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they, barely, they can barely hear. In their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For truly I say to you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see and do not see it, and to hear what you hear and do not hear it. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone, anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown on the good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundred, in another sixty, and in another thirty. The grass withers, the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. You may be seated. Let's pray. 
Lord God, we thank You for, for Your Word. We thank You, Lord, how You have revealed Yourself to us in it. And Father, how You have revealed principles of the Kingdom in Your Word. We pray, Lord, that uh, now during this time You would open our hearts and minds. We pray You would work in my heart, Lord God, to be clear that it is Your Word. And that is your word that comes through, Lord. Help us to apply it to our hearts and lives. That we may honor you, that we may produce fruit. We ask in the name of Jesus and for his glory. Amen. <clears throat> well, chapter 13 opens with a parable, and in fact... Jesus gives seven parables in this chapter. It's the first that he began giving. And uh, it's a pretty simple one. A parable. Explain what a parable is. A parable is a story taken from real life that uh, has a moral or spiritual truth to it. It's different from fables. Fables are stories too, but but fables are not based on real life. For example, Aesop's fables, you had animals dressed up like people and talking like people. It's not real life. Uh, Parables are different from allegories, uh, where nearly every detail of the allegory has meaning. Like, for example, the Chronics of Narnia are allegories. But a parable has really only one basic truth. It's a mistake to try to find out, to dig out, and have everything in a parable have some meaning. That's not the point of a parable. It's the main one basic point that it's making. There may be some minor truths in there, but it's focused on the one major point. The parable of the sower, the probably most important Old Testament background for this parable is our Old Testament reading today of Matthew chapter 55 where God's promise that as the rain waters the earth to yield seed for the sowers and bread to eat, so also God's word will not return empty but will accomplish the purpose for which he sent it. This parable is a simple parable. It's a parable of everyday life. In fact, while Jesus was um, standing there giving this parable, Perhaps there was a person off in the distance who was actually sowing seed in the field. It was, it, was a, it was something that people he was speaking to would have been very familiar with. He scatters it in different places, and uh, depending on the, where it lands and the type of soil that is there, you get those results. The interesting thing about the parable of sower is that between the parable and the interpretation you have this question raised by the disciples about why do you speak to them in parables? And by them, he's referring to the Jewish leaders. So, I think it's important for us to deal with that question. Why does Jesus speak to them in parables? And it's helpful to look at the preceding context of chapter 12. In chapter 12, verse... um, 14, Jesus, Jesus had been getting, by the way, he'd been getting 
opposition from the Jewish leaders from the very beginning. But it seems, but it progresses. The opposition intensifies as his ministry goes on. And he had just healed a man on the Sabbath in chapter 12. And verse 14 says, But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. And then in chapter in verse 24, again he heals a demon-possessed man. And the, the, the Pharisees' response is that it's only by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he cast out demons. And then in 32, Jesus says, Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven, either in this age or in the age to come. Either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad, for the tree is known by its fruit. So in this parable, Jesus is speaking when they, when, the, when they ask, why do you speak to them in parables? Again, it's the Jewish leaders he's talking about. And Jesus' answer is, to you has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom, but to them it has not been given. For to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have abundance, but one who does not, even what he has will be taken away. This is why I speak to them in parables, because seeing they do not see, and hearing they do not hear, nor do they understand Indeed, in their case, the prophecy Isaiah is fulfilled. And the prophecy he's speaking of is a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you would turn to Isaiah chapter 6 for a moment, let's look at the context of Isaiah chapter 6. What you have happening here is that in the first five chapters... Isaiah is making plain the sins of the people. And in chapter 6 is the calling of Isaiah where he sees the Lord high and lifted up and he, and he recognizes his own sinfulness and says, Woe to me, I'm a man of unclean lips and I dwell among a people of unclean lips. And then an angel comes and touches his lips with a coal, hot coal, and says to him, Behold, this has touched your lips, your guilt is taken away, and your sin atoned for. And then Isaiah says, I heard a voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their ears and hear, or see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. That's Isaiah's commission, in a sense. I'm sending you to your own people, but they're not going to listen. And as you speak, their hearts are hardened. This is not God's planning in advance to make Israel sin. Instead, it's confirming them 
in their repeated, freely chosen decisions to reject him. It's like Romans chapter 1, where, where it says that although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and so on. Then it says, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity and to dishonoring God. Three times in that passage, it says, for this reason, God gave them up. Verse 26 and verse 28. Since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind. This is, what ha- this is what's happening with Israel. This is what's happening with the Jewish leaders that Jesus is talking about here in Matthew. And this pattern is not new. It wasn't new in Isaiah's time. If you go back to Deuteronomy, chapter 29, Moses summons all the people of Israel. And he says to them, You have seen all that the Lord did before your eyes in the land of Egypt to Pharaoh into all his servants, into all his lands. The great trials that your eyes saw, the signs and those great wonders. But to this day, the Lord has not given you a heart to understand or eyes to see or ears to hear. This has been a repeated pattern throughout their history. And Isaiah 6 is a turning point in God's dealing with Israel. But their disobedience does not need to prove permanent. Notice verse 11 of Isaiah chapter 6. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stump remains when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. And of course it's speaking about Jesus. And in chapter 7 then, you have this promise that a virgin will conceive and and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. But, even up to the time of Jesus and beyond, Jesus and the apostles could continue, actually, to apply this text of Isaiah chapter 6 to the Jewish leaders since a righteous remnant had yet to be fully established. In fact, in Acts chapter 28, the last chapter of the book of Acts, the Apostle Paul is in Rome. And it says after, it says, uh, after three days he called together the local leaders of the Jews. And uh, he came and spoke to them, and, and they, they said, well, we'd like to hear more about this. So when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. From morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God, and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and the prophets. And some were convinced by what he said, and others disbelieved. And disagreeing among themselves, they departed after Paul made... One statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to you, to your fathers, through Isaiah the prophet, go to this people and say, 
And you indeed will hear it, but never understand. You will indeed see, but never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and their ears can barely hear. And so he quotes the same passage that Jesus is quoting here in Matthew. Well, Paul gives the explanation for this in regard to Israel in Romans chapter 11. He says, Lest you be wise in your own sight, I do not want you to be unaware of this mystery, brothers. A partial hardening has come upon Israel until the full number of the Gentiles has come in. And in this way, all Israel will be saved. That's, what ha- that's what's happening at the time of Jesus and is continuing to happen and is happening to this day. Until the full number of Gentiles has come in. Jesus said this gospel will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. But not until it's preached to all nations till mercy is shown to Israel. The context of Isaiah is determinative determinative for understanding Jesus' words here in Matthew. Concealing God's word from outsiders occurs only after they have freely and repeatedly rejected it and it can always be disclosed again when they repent. Nothing in Matthew or Isaiah suggests a predestination to eternal damnation. The kind of understanding that insiders retain and outsiders lack is not primarily cognitive understanding. In fact, the disciples have to ask for interpretation. And we see actually in Luke chapter 20, when Jesus gives the parable of the wicked tenants, the Jewish leaders actually perceive that the parable is speaking about them and against them. The true understanding that outsiders lack is volitional. It's of the will. It's a refusal to commit themselves to Jesus and to follow him in discipleship and to learn further kingdom secrets. It's like they said to Pilate, we will not have this man rule over us. That's that's the lack of understanding that's volitional. As throughout the scriptures, divine sovereignty and human responsibility are side by side, simultaneously affirmed without any sense of contradiction. In fact, you see it here in Matthew, verses 11 and 12. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but to them it has not been given, the sovereignty of God. But then, verses 13 to 15, Hearing they do not hear, seeing they do not see, nor understand, and so on. Human responsibility. So 
So that's why Jesus is speaking to, to them in parables. He's not casting his pearls before swine. They are not interested at all. They are rejecting it. So we come to the interpretation of this parable, and, and Jesus actually interprets it for us. It's a pretty easy interpretation. The seed is actually the word of the kingdom, he tells us. It's the word of the kingdom. And kingdom is rule, the right to rule, God's right to rule over the hearts and minds of all people as the king. In fact, all seven of these parables are parables about the kingdom. And this is the first one. It has to do with the origin, in essence, of the kingdom. The soil in the parable is the human heart, we see. As he says here, anyone who hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches it away what is sown in his heart. The soil is the heart. And the emphasis of the, the parable is emphasizing the quality of the heart in this parable. As it talks about the different kinds of soil that it falls on. The emphasis is on the various kinds of hearts and how they receive the word of the kingdom. So the first type of soil is what fell along the path. This is the, the hard heart. Now, we're all familiar with, with paths. How does a path become a path? It happens gradually, doesn't it? You walk in the same, the same area, the same place, over and over and over again, and the more you do it, the harder the soil becomes. Well, that's the way a heart becomes hard. It's progressive. It happens over a period of time, a progressive hardening. And, and once it gets that hard, seed cannot penetrate. What makes the human heart hard? Sin. Sin makes the heart hard. Sin is a a determined opposition to God. Uh, in Scripture, often it's called transgression, which is an outright rebellion against God. It's a refusal uh, to acknowledge God. And so, the seed falls on the hard path, nothing happens. It just lays there until the birds come along and take it away. You, maybe you know people like this. That you've tried to share the gospel with them. I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear it. I don't even want to hear anything about it. That's a hard heart. Romans 1 describes that hardness, continuing hardness. And really, Romans 1, 18 and following tells us that that is actually the wrath of God working. As that person continues to, to, to sin, 
that hardening takes place, and that itself is God's wrath working itself out in that person's life and the effects of that life. The second type of soil, he says the soil that uh, sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet it has no root in himself but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately it falls away. This is a shallow soil. It's a person who has a, who has a superficial interest in the gospel. They may have made a, a public profession. Maybe they, you know, were at an evangelistic rally and went forward. Or at an invitation at a church. Um, but they were not truly born of the Spirit. It's, it's like a, it's the difference between an outward call and an inward call. When the gospel goes out, when the gospel is proclaimed, when you share the gospel with someone, or it's heard from the pulpit, that is a call in itself. The gospel being proclaimed is a call to repent and put your faith in Jesus Christ. That's an outward call. Everybody hears that with their physical ears. But beyond that, there is the inward call of the Spirit that changes that person on the inside so that they have eyes to see and ears to hear and a heart to respond. And in this case, that never happened. They responded to an outward call and 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 people respond an outward call for any number of reasons. Maybe there was something happening in their life and they just felt like, well, I need God in my life. And so, yeah, I'll do... Uh, it's simply a, it's, it's more of a, a self-centered type of response uh, rather, than, rather than an admission of guilt before God a holy God and, and a true heart of repentance it's uh, I just need something from God because of the situation I'm in and so what happens is when difficulty comes maybe the person loses his job uh, or he has a there's a misunderstanding with with fellow church people, and they, they say, "Well, I, I don't, I'm tired of this. I don't want any of this." Or they get sick, and maybe they thought, "You know, once I become a Christian, everything's going to be rosy." And all of a sudden, problems come, and they're gone. That's the shallow soil. The third type of soil, he says then, it was sown among the thorns. This is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. We have some illustrations of that uh, in the Gospels. The rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and and says, what must must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus says, well, what what does the law say? Love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and your neighbor as yourself. Well, this I've done ever since I was young. I've done it ever since I was little. I've done that. But Jesus perceived that his God was his riches. 
And so he says, well, there's one thing you lack. You know, go sell all you have and give it to the church and come follow me. And he couldn't do it. Or the rich fool. Uh, the person who, who uh, has a great crop. And he says, well, what am I going to do? Uh, I don't have room on my barns for all this crop. I'm just, I'll tell you what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build new barns and put it all in there. And I'll be set for life and I can eat, drink, and be merry. And, and uh, Jesus says, fool. You know, tonight you're going to die. That's what's going to happen in all this. And he says he wasn't rich toward God. So this is a person who is always thinking about money, always thinking about going further in his job and, and succeeding, being a success. That's his motivation in life. Uh, his priorities are out of whack. He's not seeking first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things that you know, Jesus said there in Matthew chapter 6. Not worrying about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear or all those things. And he says, your heavenly Father knows you need those things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And here's a person who is, has other priorities. The fourth type then, by the way, those things choke the word, it says here. It's like the thorns, it chokes the word. It chokes the message that it can't get through. Nope, they're in, therefore it can't produce a crop. As to the one sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. So this one says, understands it. The others didn't say they heard the word and responded to the word, but they didn't. This, the, this word, understand, has the idea of putting it all together. It comes together for them. Now I get it, kind of thing. That's the idea of this understanding. And it's a spiritual understanding. I understand now. I see myself in relationship to a holy God and realize that I'm guilty before God. And if I started right now and lived a perfect life, it's, I'm still sinned previously. I can never be right in the sight of God on my own. And they understand then the love of God in sending His Son Jesus Christ to take my sin upon Himself on the cross and die in my place and rise from the dead. He understands it. And indeed bears fruit. And yields in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and another thirty. Fruit is the only sure evidence of good soil. As Jesus said there in uh, chapter in chapter twelve, a good tree produces good fruit. 
The tree is known by its fruit. Fruit's the only sure evidence. What fruit, though? What is the fruit? Well, the fruit that's mentioned in Scripture is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. You know, God's purpose in calling us is to be conformed in our character to the character of Jesus Christ. This is it. This is it. This fruit. And that, that, that fruit then evidences itself in the life we live. In love for one another. Now, there's some minor points that you could bring out in this parable. You could say, well, only a portion of the preaching of the gospel bears fruit in any age. And there's truth to that. Oftentimes, the gospel goes out and, and, and there are places where it doesn't bear fruit. There are people's lives, people, that it doesn't bear fruit. You could say, well, the only sure evidence of a genuine reception of the word in the heart is bringing forth the spiritual fruit, which, which I just, just mentioned, and that's true too. You know by the fruit. And you could say, the presence of fruit is the important thing, not the amount of fruit. And there's truth to that. I mean, it's like not everybody produces 100%. Some produce 60, some produce 30. But the soil's still good. It's producing. It's producing fruit. Sometimes we get down on ourselves because we, we think, well, I'm not as... I just, I'm just not like this person over here who just seems so godly. <laughs> Whatever. Don't, you know, I mean, don't let that discourage you. God is working in your life. God works in our lives and He's working differently in different people. And we all, we all grow in different rates, in different times. Oftentimes we'll have a growth spurt because of something that we've gone through that's not good, but we've trusted in God and seen His grace at work in that, and we come out on the other side and we sort of have this growth spurt because of that. not the amount, but the fact that there is fruit that's being produced. But the main point, the main point of this parable is that only the open heart receives the benefits of the preaching of the gospel and is saved. It's only this last one. It's only this good soil. It's only that person Who's saved? The others, well, the first one, of course, didn't even respond to the word, but the other two types of soil made a response, but it wasn't, they weren't changed on the inside. It didn't, it didn't take because there was no spiritual understanding. There was no new heart to grasp it. So what can we do? First of all, 
um, in preaching the gospel. Well, we can be wise in in sharing the gospel with people who have maybe uh, shown an interest in the word and uh, share the gospel with those people. Not waste our time with people who aren't interested and just make them mad, you know. But share it to those who express an interest. And the only way you get to that point is by developing relationships with people and allowing that to come about in a gradual way. What can a person do who hasn't responded to the gospel yet? Nothing. But God can. And God must do something if anything is going to happen. Ezekiel said for the, 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 the new covenant in Ezekiel chapter 36 where God says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove your heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my just decrees. Only God can raise the dead. And we are spiritually dead until that happens. And unable to respond. Our holy hope is the divine gardener. But, you can't examine your own heart. And you can ask, do I recognize that before an all-holy God, I'm guilty? And under the wrath of God, in my present state, I'm under the wrath of God. You can ask, do I really believe that Jesus came in the flesh? That God sent His only Son to come in the flesh and live a perfect life under the law that I couldn't live and then never could. And then voluntarily lay down his life in this great exchange where Scripture says that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God through faith. Do you believe that? You can ask yourself. Do you really believe that happened? And that Jesus is alive and reigning today. And that there is salvation in no one else but the living Christ. Maybe God, for those of you, maybe you say young people who haven't yet made that commitment to the Lord, maybe God is 
calling you, is giving you that new heart this morning. To say, I believe. I trust in Christ alone. In His perfection, in His righteousness, not in my own righteousness. I trust in Him alone. That all my sins have been paid for by the blood of Jesus Christ. And I will live for Him. You can ask yourself those questions this morning in regard to the seed, which is the word of the kingdom. And I encourage you, if you sense God is calling you this morning, that you repent and believe, trust in Him. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, for the glory of God alone. Amen. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for this word of the kingdom that you've entrusted to us to share with others. Help us to be faithful, Lord in sowing seed. Help us to be faithful in sharing the whole gospel. Thank you, Lord, that you call us and adopt us into your family and that you continue to work in us and that you will accomplish your purpose in us. Because your word will not return empty. And we give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.